Happy New Year. That's a Steelers jersey right there. You got a lot of nerve right there. Security. Hey, um, so what did the first man, Adam, say to his wife on December 31? It's New Year's Eve. Come on, you guys. Come on. A little hilarity right out the gate for you. Hey, so it, it's, it's going to be a crazy year. It's, it is a new year, and I know some of you, you know, like I said, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Some of us get all excited. I do. I kind of, I focus on like something important that's going to happen and, and try to, it doesn't matter uh, whether you're, which side you are on that one. The, the important thing maybe is to realize, you know, God's not watching the calendar, but he is watching this world. He's watching your life. He's watching your family. He's watching our church. And did you know God is up to something new? He's always working on a new thing. The way the book of Isaiah says it this way. He says, uh, don't focus on what's past. Forget, forget some of that right now. Can you just, do you look around? Can you see that God is about to do a new thing? He's about to do a new thing. I, I love that idea that God's always in the present and thinking and working about the future. It's important for us because we're obviously at this significant moment. Say happy birthday, Mountain. Happy birthday, Mountain. It's 200 years old. It's crazy to think about. The life cycle of a church is usually 30, 40 years, and here we are still kicking and, and growing after all these years. What we're going to do is we're going to certainly take some time and look back and try to appreciate some of the, the beauty of the stories that have gone before us, but we're also, we're also going to look inside and see what might need to change in our own lives and hearts and let all of that, the faithfulness of others who've gone before, what God's calling us to do right now to change, how that matches, what that says about the future and what's ahead for us and how it really matches up with the new thing that God wants to do. You ready to go? That's what we want to do. 200 years is a long time, you guys. I mean, there's only like a couple of you that were here. I mean, it's, it's a long time. I mean, think about it like no mobile phones. No computers, no microwaves, no, no hair dryers, no indoor bathrooms, no plumbing inside your house, right? Think about that. Before the car, no Model Ts had even been invented yet. No penicillin, no antiseptics, no anesthesia. If you got an infection, you might go to the doctor and they would, they would order a bloodletting. You like put a bunch of leeches on you, okay? Hope you feel better. This is before movies, before theaters, before anyone had ever sung the national anthem because it hadn't been written yet. Did I mention no bathrooms, no plumbing? Uh, this was before the Vietnam War. This is before the Korean War. This is before World War II. This is before World War I. It's before the Civil War. Like, think about the presidents before Eisenhower and Truman and, and uh, Roosevelt, before Abe Lincoln. This was back when John Quincy Adams, handsome devil that he was, was president of the United States. Before matches were invented, before microphones or typewriters, before we knew what a wrench was, before we had a Colt 45, before Samuel Morse had invented the telegraph or the Morse code, before postage stamps, safety pins, before tires had air in them, before electricity and light bulbs and blueprints and staplers and bicycles, 
That's a long time. That, that's a long time ago. Before the Great Depression, before just think of all the technological advancements, the industrialization, the globalization, the significant social, political, and even geographical changes that the world has seen as we know it today. Even before Minnesota was a state. <laughs> Y'all, there was a church right here in Harford County, and it began in 1824. In a story that we'll celebrate in more detail at different times along the way, but some friends, some friends came to this area on horseback talking about Jesus, and they rallied some people together, and some other people became Christians in that teaching, and a new church was born not far from where I'm standing right now and has continued in an unbroken line to this very moment, and it became called Mountain Christian Church. It's crazy. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. It's really great. It all began in a very humble uh, beginning uh, in, a, in a little log cabin structure down on Old Joppa Road right near here, right? Um, about 36 feet long, 20 feet wide. God kept blessing and sending people. They kept welcoming and growing and eventually moved over to the property where I am now at Mountain Road property here. I gathered eventually in a larger building, a little white clapboard church building up in that cemetery up in the corner by Jerusalem Road. God kept blessing. God kept sending. We kept welcoming, kept growing. Eventually gathered in other facilities like Walker Chapel in the 1950s that was built. And, and then God kept blessing and kept sending. We kept welcoming and growing. Eventually Cook Auditorium became home. And then uh, this building here in 2004, the New Life Center. And then in 2010, this new strategy of launching campuses. I better hear some cheers from our people as we think about the Bel Air campus in 2010, and then 13, the Edgewood campus, and then the Epicenter came along, and then 2017, the Abingdon campus, 2020, 21, the Aberdeen campus, and now setting our sights on something called Parkville. A lot has changed over the last 200 years, you guys. A lot has changed for our church. A lot has changed in the context, the culture, the surroundings, and the world around us. Here's one thing that has not changed. The same God that met those 14 families in that little log cabin is our God. The same Jesus who led and loved them leads and loves us. The same Holy Spirit that moved and the same scriptures that challenge and convict and can bring change to life and families and communities is still alive at work. And I know one thing, God isn't done yet. Do you believe that? Yeah. I don't think he's done yet. I, I, I think that... that there's more to come. There's more to come. Here's the sad reality. The majority of churches in this country are plateaued or declining, some of them in rapid decline. Most are small and struggling to reach new people, struggling to make an impact in their community, many struggling to even keep their doors open. And yet, Guys, we just have to deal with the fact to whom much is given, much is required because for whatever reasons that are somewhat beyond all of our understanding, by God's grace, as we mark our 200th birthday in 2024, we're thriving like never before. Amen. We just came out of a Christmas that was off the chain, like we're 40% over last year. We, and we saw, we saw all these amazing stories of, of, of God impact in it. And, and we're, we're in, coming out of 2023, we're kind of the healthiest with some of the largest participation we've ever seen in kids and students and groups and, and attendance and maturity and baptisms and first-time guests. And there's a fresh hunger for the Word of God, the things of God, the ways of God. And, and we're finding people having that appetite met here in our midst. Numbers don't tell the whole story. But they do remind us and point to the undeniable fact that God's on the move and he's up to something. 
And so we're not just going to, you know, reminisce for a while about the good old days. We believe God's going to continue to send and we're going to continue to welcome and the best is yet to come. In fact, we have a, we have a saying around here that goes like this. Nothing in our past compares with the future that God has in store for us. And we're actually at a moment where you and I have to decide if we actually believe that. Like as you look at your life, do you think pretty much all of the important things have already happened? Do you think that all the learning you've done is mostly in your past? Do you think that the best friendships, the best learning, the best growth. What about your marriage? What about your relationships? What about your mind? What about your life with God? What about our church? Is it all in the past or is God actually who he says he is doing a new thing? Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? I believe to the core of my being that the best is yet to come. That's why we're, we're calling this whole thing more and better to come. Mountain is, 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 is flourishing. Now, here, here's the thing. If anything good's happening at Mountain, we know this. It's not because of us. It's in spite of us, right? A bunch of goofballs like you. I mean, come on. Right? So we have to just be honest about that, right? It's like if anything good, if, if, if pleasing to God or changing a life, that's all God's grace and blessing and favor. We can't take any credit for that. But, but, but here's the thing. None of it happens just sort of by accident, right? Behind it all and through the years, we have married ourselves to certain simple but profound values, some deep commitments that drive everything we do. Simply put, the more faithful we are to these godly values, the more we will flourish. More faithful, more flourish. That's just true in every part of our life, by the way. Like if you honor God and his ways and his, his principles in your life, it's going to have an impact on your family, your relationships, your health, your finances, everything. What we want to do over the next few weeks is see how it applies to us as a church. We're going to try to pull the curtain back and just say, what are some of the profound, life-changing, godly values that we've tried to say that's who we are? Let's reveal the, if you will, hidden DNA of mountain and the process I think you'll come away with like a deeper appreciation uh, for who we are and be more on board with it, but also see how important each of these is for us in our individual lives because they are life-changing and they'll reorient our minds in important ways as we, as we sink into them. We'll talk about things like how messed up the world is and how we think about the world and how God thinks about it and how God's fixing it. We'll talk about how to find unity and peace in a world that's like super divided and polarized and really, really ugly. We'll, we'll talk about why kids are the next big thing and why every single one of us needs to figure out how to invest in children today to change the world tomorrow. We'll talk about one of my favorites, the key to success in life is stay humble, stay hungry. We'll talk about how... No matter what questions you have in life, what hurts you have in life, what you're hungry for in life, it always, 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 it's about Jesus. That's the answer. These are some of the values that come from the heart of Jesus, and they're for each of us in our lives, in our church. It's all about more and better to come. So you ready to dive in? Let's get started today with, with the first one. Um, one of the most watched TED Talks of all time is by Simon Sinek. 
And uh, he has this thing, he says, that you've got to start with the why. Some of you have seen it. He draws these three circles, and why is in the center, and it moves out to what and how. And it's important just to realize that every organization, every you know, uh, business, a family, certainly a church, needs to always remember, begin with the why? What's your why? See, for, so what we often tend to do is we start with the what. Like, hey, what does that business make? What do you do for, you know, we always start with the what. And we look at a church and we say, well, what does a church do? Well, we say, well, you know, they have sermons. They, they, they pray. They do stuff for the poor. They help marriages. They get over addictions. They, they, they do all this kind of stuff. They play bingo, whatever it is, right? That's the what. And some people choose a church based on what a church does. Most can see and understand some of the what. A few pay attention to the how, which is actually really important. And around Mountain, we might notice, like, well, we want to do things with excellence. We want to really care about people along the way. We want to create an environment that's welcoming and inviting. These are, these are how we do some of the what. And a lot of people choose churches over those things. How does the music land with me? But what's most important is neither the what or the how, it's the, it's the why. The why. The why, you guys, is our purpose. Like, it's our whole reason. Like, why are we even here? Like, what are we trying to do? Like, what's the reason we were called into existence? Because we actually didn't decide that. The why is our cause. It's our driving, compelling force. The French would say our raison d'etat. Like our reason for being. And we have, we, we have actually a mission that, that tells us why we're here and then drives what we do and how we do it. And our mission is stated clearly, and we'll put it on the screen. If you know it, shout it with me. Here it is. Our mission at Mountain Christian Church is clear. Here it is. To make disciples. More and better disciples. Boom, period, full stop, that's it. Make disciples. More and better disciples. Now, let's take a quick hiatus here. What's a disciple? A disciple is simply a word that Jesus uses to describe someone who knows him, trusts him, comes to love and believe and receive his grace and follow him, hang out with him, hang out with others who know him, worship him, serve in his name, and be grateful to Jesus. And a disciple is simply an apprentice a follower of Jesus who hangs out with him enough that it's on a journey to become more like him. Or as we like to say around here, from the teaching of Jesus, what is a disciple? It's someone who loves God, loves people, and serves the world. Loves God means that that's a disciple, someone who like knows it's important to get together like we are right now and worships God in that way, but we also hang out with Jesus by ourselves with just our Bible or our scripture and talking to him alone. Love people means that, that we... we we hang out with and hold on to some other believers who are also on a journey with Jesus. But we're also at the same time always reaching out to people who don't know Jesus at all. That's what it means to love people. And serve the world means that you take your one life and you offer it to God and say, here's my time, my talent, my treasure, it's yours anyway. How can I make a dent in the universe with, in the ways that match up with your purposes? That's what it means to serve the world. And that's what a disciple does. It's because that's who Jesus was and that's what he did, and that's our mission is to make more people who do that. More and better. Like, let's get better at it. Let's look more like Jesus as we go along, not less. 
The first value, the first sort of hidden DNA that we're diving into today that has, I think, a lot to say to each one of us about how you live your own life is this. Are you ready? Here it is. Mission first. Now that we know what our mission is, here's the, here's the value. Mission first. Always, always, always come hell or high water, whatever happens, keep the focus on the mission. What do we mean by mission first? It's kind of a, it's kind of a way of saying, you know what, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So do you know why that's important? Because this actually isn't our mission. It's God's mission. Did you know that God gave us this mission? God, uh, uh, did you know God was the first missionary? <laughs> so God left the comforts of heaven to come. He sent his son. He came on a mission. That, that, that's, that, that's where the mission began. You, you, you we're familiar with John 3.16, a lot of us. You say it however you want to say it, but here's the point. That God, motivated by love, expressed that love, how? By going, by coming, by sending. And Jesus came. Why? So that anyone, everyone, all of us could say yes and become a follower, a, learner, a, a believer in Jesus Christ, receive what he's done through his death on the cross so that we would not have to face eternal death, but eternal life would be ours. Here's the point. God didn't, God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, to shame us, but that every one of us through him could be saved. And that's the incredibly good news of this whole thing. God sent. God's a missionary God. God's on mission. It's the mission of God. And Jesus understood that. He knew why he was here, didn't he? He never had a day in his life where he was off mission. Mission first for Jesus. In fact, he said one time in Luke 19, he said, the whole reason I'm here is I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Pretty clear about his mission. And that's how he lived his life every day. He didn't just talk about it. Like he hung out with people and he ate meals with them. And in fact, that's what got him into trouble is he was always hanging around with people and becoming friends with people who, um, who were far from God. And then he invested in a bunch of guys, and, and then they started this whole movement. And, and uh, you know, he, he did the more and the better. And then, here's the plot twist. Jesus turns, and in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says it most clearly this way. In the same way that the Father sent me, is the same way the missionary God expressed it, expressed love that way, now I am sending you. And guess whose chest his finger pokes into when he says the word you? Yours and mine. You're sent. By Jesus, on mission. We all are. The way Paul expressed it is this way, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, so you know what this means? What do we do? Why are we even here? Well, you know what? You're here because you're representatives of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Jesus on planet Earth now. We're Jesus. We're the body of Christ. We're like ambassadors on his behalf. God's given us a charge to carry through our lives, just like Jesus did, as he makes his appeal to people through us now. We speak for God when we plead. What's our message? What's our message? Why are we here? Come back to God. Friends, that's why we're here, to get people back home to God where they belong. Jesus summed it all up. At the end of his life, 
He did his ministry. He died. He rose again. He's about ready to say, peace out. I'm going back to hang out with the Father for a while. I'm going to leave you guys in charge. But before I go, he says, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. So what I'm about to say is important. You better listen up. And then he says, go. What, what, what was that? What was the word? Go. Go where and do what? Make disciples. Ding, ding, ding. There it is. That's where it comes from. Make disciples. Of whom? Everybody. All over the place. All the time. How? Well, more and better. You, you start by, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But don't stop when you get them dunked. Like, keep going. Like, teach them everything. I've taught you. More and better. Both halves. And don't worry, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, that's been going on for 2,000 years and more. God is a missionary God. He sent his son. His son sends us. We're on mission. And what is it? To make more and better disciples. That's it. That's why we're here. So, that's what it means. So what does it mean for us as a church? When we say mission first, what, what, are we, what, what are the implications of that? Well, a lot. I think it's one of the things that makes Mountain pretty unique. It means that everything we do as a church, everything, like every program, every ministry we ever start, every line item in our budget, every staff position we ever hire, everything we ever do, like including this service and this moment right here, is always only about one thing. This mission. It's either, it's about making a disciple. It's about helping someone come into a relationship with Jesus or helping those who already have a relationship with Jesus keep growing and going in it. And that's all we do. We don't do anything else. More and better disciples, like helping people continue on that journey or get started in it. That's all we do. Like everything is about that mission first. And some will say, well, which is more important? And Christians love to argue about this one. And, well, what do you think? Which is more important, reaching out and bringing people in so they can know Jesus or building them up and helping them get stronger and keep going? Which is more important? Well, you ding-dong. Jesus said they're both important. They're both there. It's like rowing a boat. Like, which oar is more important? Well, pfft. If you pull on one, you're not going anywhere. And then a lot of churches make that mistake. We're like, well, we're just going to be a reach out, reach out, reach out church. Reach out. Let's get everybody reach out. We don't have time to worry about all this edifying the saved stuff and getting them built up and doing the better. We're just going to, what happened? That church, it's going to be a mile wide but an inch deep. It'll never survive. It won't have any leaders, no depth, no substance. But some are the exact opposite. Like there's churches all over this country that are like, we're really spiritual. We're super deep. We're going to study the Bible and pray, pray, pray. We don't have time for reaching out for people, but we're just going to get really deep. Don't tell them, but they don't look anything like Jesus. And the last I heard, you want to be deep, you got to look like Jesus. Because who cared more for lost people than anyone to walk the planet? Jesus. You want to be deep, look like that. You see, so it's not an either or. It's both and. It's more and better. It's baptize and teach. It's like the whole thing. And so we get, we get in the boat and we pull on both oars. We, we reach out, we build up, and that's everything we do. So that's our mission, more and better disciples. You know what the fastest growing religious group in this country is? You probably do. I've told you before. It's the nuns. 
N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. Like those who, when asked, like, what's your religious affiliation? They say, oh, pff, ain't got none. They're not connected at all to God or any church or anything like that. Don't you think someone somewhere should have a, a place where they could find their way home to God? If not us, who? Do you realize that in this country right now there's a growing hunger for truth and light and purpose and joy and peace and that Jesus offers all of that but it's the last place people think to look? And that so many people are stuck in a life of stagnant faith. Don't you think there should be some place that would say like, no, this is a lifelong journey of endless transformation for your life, your soul. Don't you think someone somewhere should offer a place like that? If not us, like who would you nominate? <laughs> We're the church. We're mission driven. And by the way, that means that we're going to we're going to welcome people who already come to us, who are already convinced that Jesus is Lord and I think, welcome. We're glad you, as long as you know, we're not here just to find disciples, swap sheep with other churches. We're not here to get bigger. We're here to what? Make disciples, not find them. We're here to make disciples. I love talking to somebody in the, in the commons out here one of our campuses and say, well, what church did you go to before you came here? And they say, I didn't go to any church before I came here. It's like, bingo. We just made a disciple. We're making a disciple. So if you transfer in, welcome just you got to know what we're about. Bringing them in, building them up. So that's our mission. It's our purpose. And we got to stay focused on that. That means, among other things, that we are mission-driven. So we're not, we're not member-driven. Okay? We're not. If you thought this was like a country club where everyone gets a vote on the menu, it's like, nope. Mission drives everything. We're not maintenance-driven. We're not like kind of muddle through and barely keep our doors open. We're going to maintain the status quo. It's like, no, no, no. We're trying to make it hard to go to hell in Maryland here. We're trying to change the world, right? This is not maintenance, okay? It's not, it's not, it's not member-driven. It's not maintenance-driven. It's not me-driven like I want my way. You know, it's like or the pastor gets his way or somebody. I give a lot. I should, it's like, no, 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 no. Get behind the mission. Everyone serves the mission, right? Mission-driven. So where does this all start? It starts the same place God starts it, by those who are far from God. That's where it has to begin, and that's where we've got to stay focused. And, you know, do you realize that God's heart aches for anyone whose heart is far from him? Jesus says, you want to know what the heart of the Father God is like? He says, I'll tell you a story. He says, there's a shepherd. Shepherd has 100 sheep. Every day he goes to bed, counts up his sheep. One night he counts his sheep. He only gets, he says, 99, one's missing. He says, I must have counted wrong. He counts again, 99. There's one missing. Now, what a normal, good businessman shepherd would do is cut his losses, go to bed, and figure it out in the morning. But what this crazy shepherd does is he's like, oh, no, I'm missing the one. I'm missing that one. He gets his lantern. He's out in the middle of the night, panicked, looking around, searching and finding. He can't sleep at all till he finds the one sheep, puts it over his shoulder, comes home, and, and rejoices and says, that which was lost is found. Friends, that's the heart of the Father. And that ache that that shepherd has is describing God. And the Bible says that if you hang around with Jesus enough, that ache ought to get inside of you too, which means that that's who we are as a church. We've got to be like you. We're a church for people. We're, we're here for the one. We're, here, we're a church for people who don't go to church. We're a church for people who hate church. 
We're a church for people who have been hurt by church or have lots of questions. We're one of the only organizations you'll ever meet that exists for the benefit of non-members. We're here for people who aren't. That's why we're here. We have a saying that goes like this. If a decision ever comes down to choosing between making ourselves more comfortable, which is what a lot of Christians love to do, or reaching out to save one more person far from God, we're going to reach out every single time. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus does. That's what got Jesus in trouble. He welcomed sinners. And you know what? So do we. Any sinners in the house? Oh, a few, a couple, more than I expected. Wow. Welcome home. Welcome home. Because this is for everyone. We're a missionary outpost. So what does all this mean for you? Well, I hope you figured out by now that if you're at all interested in hanging around Jesus, he's like, uh, this isn't like their mission, my mission. It's like his finger's in your chest. (laughs) This is your mission. This is your life mission. Like, and we're called to live our whole life on mission. Like, and to have your life, like, not be so consumed with the things that we do to get to to the what and and the how of our life. I live here, I do that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, the why you're on this planet is to help people come to know the God who made them and loves them and help them find the, the very purpose for existence so they can live eternally in the best way that we were meant to and keep growing in that. Everything you do ought to help someone be drawn to God or, you know, never pull someone away from a God direction in life, but help them move in it more and better is your own mission as well. When Jesus said these words, go and make disciples, that word go in the grammar literally means as you are going, As you are going about your ordinary, everyday, unspectacular lives, as you get out of bed, make coffee, get on the bus, go to school, check in at work, as you go about business, as you go about work, with your lips, your life, and your love, will you just be about the one thing that matters most, and that is always being on the lookout for someone you can help lead home or help them move in a better, deeper God direction with their life. Which is why people at Mountain, when you say, well, what do you do? Who are you? They'll say, I'm a, I'm a missionary, cleverly disguised as a checkout clerk at Home Depot. What are you? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a disciple on mission. I, I, I'm a CEO. I'm a homemaker. I'm a student at HCC, but that's what I'm really about. That's my why. You live your life on mission like that. How do you do it? You invest and you invite. You invest and you invite. You invest in people. You see people and you, you give of yourself somehow to that. You listen, you know, you know it might mean that you, you, you pray for people. It might mean that you listen to people, their story, and understand what they're going through, and that's some of the ways that Jesus started his ministry. You can too. We, we eat meals with people. We just share our table. We open our hearts, our homes, our lives. We, we serve them however we can. We, and when the moment comes, and it will come, you share your story. You say what God has meant to you. 
Who? Who do we do that with? Well, everyone. You know, think, everyone kind of finds himself on a spiritual continuum, you know? Like way over on that end, you can imagine people who are really far from God. And way over on this end, people who are trying very hard to be alive to God and live their life with God. And we know people, all of us, who are like way on that end. They might be described as like an antagonistic atheist. They're, they're really opposed. They want to argue. They're, they're just not open right now at all. Or maybe they've moved a little bit. They're more like what could be described as an indifferent agnostic. Like, I don't know what I really think about all that, but I don't, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It's not really relevant to my life. I don't see the point. Or some have moved a little further, and they're actually what you could call kind of like curious but cautious because they know Christians are kind of weird, and they heard a lot of weird stuff, and does it come with all the baggage? And I'm curious. I'm drawn to a little bit of it, but I got questions. And some become more like secret admirers. Like they see some things. Like I actually met some Christians that I kind of respected, and, and they seem like they have some stuff that makes sense. The Bible actually, I don't have questions, but, I, but I'm I really like some of what I'm hearing there, and it feels like it might fill a longing that I'm missing in my life. They're kind of jealous and attracted but not ready to go public. And then there comes a moment where a person steps across the line of faith and becomes a brand new believer, like a beginning believer who's eager and hungry, has lots of questions, clueless about a lot of things, but they just know they're on fire and let's go. And then there's a growing Christian where it starts to get more fun, I think, and the Bible begins to make more sense, and you're doing the faith and living out the love God, love people, serve the world, until you become like a maturing disciple where you've got, like, it's just like, it's part of who you are. You're not trying so hard because it's just there. You want to, to do this stuff, and you stop whining about not being fed because you're busy feeding and raising up others. Here's the thing. Everybody's somewhere on there. Where are you? Be honest. Where are you at? And then... Think about those that you might be called to invest and invite in. Where are they? Here's the thing. Wherever they are, God loves them, and Jesus is ready to meet them right there, and God's will is that everybody would go that way, one step this year, like God's up to something. And he's working in lives, and he's waiting for us to get on mission to help make it happen. Any little movement matters, not just the one across the line of faith. Every conversation counts. So, so we have stories. We get emails. Got one from a, a woman who said, you know, I, I grew up going to church, but we had so many rules and it was so nauseous to me as my parents shoved it down my throat. I felt like they were hypocrites. It just led to bad taste in my mouth. As soon as I could, I went out on my own. My brother, he completely rebelled. I just kind of drifted, walked away from God, not sure I ever really knew him, and then came around to say thank you for creating a place that was safe for someone like me with church hurt to come home again. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I can be around Jesus without feeling like he's disgusted with me, and I feel like I'm on a path and I'm growing I'm healing, and now I'm helping others. Thank you, Mountain, for being that kind of place. Aren't you proud to be that kind of place that's on mission where God could use us like that? I want to be part of a church like that where anyone can find their way home. Another emailed. <clears throat> they said, just straight up want to let you know we're atheists, have been for some time, but 
Because of some problems in our kids' lives, we're taking care of our grandkids, and it seems to us they might need some moral guidance in life. Could you help us with that? Yeah, I think we can. Aren't you glad to be part of a church that people know they might be able to help your kid with moral guidance? Another email. I grew up at Mountain, but in my 20s I went away, and through the years I got involved in Wicca. And at first it was just for fun, and then I dabbled in it, and then I got in deeper, and now I'm a little bit scared. It feels like things have turned dark, and I think I need help. Would you be able to help me understand how I might get more light and love in my life? Oh, man. I'm so grateful to be able to say, yes, yes, yes. Light and love of Jesus is something that we want to help you find. I want to be part of a church like that. Guy said to me after Christmas Eve email, Christmas Eve was weird and good. I think it might have changed my life. I, I didn't grow up going to church. Only time was at a couple of funerals. One of them was at Mountain, and the people were so real, so genuine and warm, and they seemed like they really believed all this stuff. So when another friend invited me back for Christmas services this year, I came, and something happened. The candle thing got me, and there I am, this crusty old cop, bawling my eyes out. And I felt like a crusty heart of mine had cracked open and light was pouring in. It's like, yes. I'm glad we had 147 services for that guy. Thanks for being that kind of church, you guys. And let's just never take our eye off the target. Like, mission first, mission first. That guy's on a lifelong journey. Another said, I've been a Christian for 30 years, but I've never grown and experienced what I just did in the rooted experience. I think I feel like I'm reading the Bible for the first time. I feel like I'm praying like I never have, and I've overcome some stronghold temptations that have had a grip on me for years, and I've got friends for life. Thank you. Why well, I love being a part of a church like that. So what's your part? Invest and invite. Invest in people, see people, know that every single person you lock eyes with is a person Jesus Christ died for. And wherever they are in the spiritual journey, don't just see them as a human, as a what or a how. See them as the why that Jesus came and think about that story, the 99 and the one, the one, the one. Who's your one? Who's your one? Like a real name. Someone you know that doesn't know Jesus right now. Someone that's close to you maybe, but is far from God. What's their name? Invest. Invite. Invest and invite. Can I just encourage you? It's going to cost you a little bit, but it'll be worth every bit of investment. You'll get a big return you'll get a big return. So what does it mean for us? I think it means invest and invite. Who's your one? And you're like, well, I don't know enough. I, I'm not, I don't know the Bible. I don't, I don't know all this stuff. It's like, hey, you know what? That's okay. When you feel inadequate, God's like, perfect. Now I can use you. Doesn't need a smarty pants. Doesn't need someone who's got all the answers. Doesn't need someone who's like, well, you know, blah, 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 you know, no. Just do what I do. When someone asks you a question, you don't know the answer to say, I don't know. Come and see. Come hang out with us. Just see what happens.
So what does all this mean for someone else? What does it mean for your one? What does it mean for all the ones around us in this area? A lot. A lot at stake, you guys. Here at the 200 mark, there's more at stake now than there ever was. Remember the whole Titanic thing? Remember the movie? Rose is sitting there bobbing, freezing, getting ready to die in the water. <laughs> at the end, it's a real, real, real uh, lovely scene. Remember the Titanic ship that was never going to sink, but it did. And she's reminiscing and she's looking back on this night when so many people tragically, 700 people survived by scrambling into these 20 lifeboats, mostly the wealthy. Rose was not one of them. She's thrashing. She finds a whistle on a bobbing, dead, frozen corpse, blows the whistle as she looks at 20 lifeboats paddling away. In her mind's eye, she can see the 1,500 people bobbing, freezing in the water that night, 20 lifeboats. And when she blew that whistle, one of them turned around and came back for her. One of them pulled her from the icy waters, and she lived to tell that story. 1,500 people in the water that night. Six more were rescued. The lifeboats weren't full. They could have up to 40 people each. Most had 8 to 10. What happened there? It wasn't that the lifeboats weren't there. They just didn't care. They were like, well, we're saved. Whoop, let's go. When you look at an empty lifeboat, you have to ask yourself, is that, is that really a lifeboat? Or is it just a boat? You know, for the people in the water, it wasn't a lifeboat, was it? The problem is they forgot their why. They forgot what they were. They forgot why they were there. Do all you can to make your life like that one boat. And do everything you can to make this church like that boat. In real life, people don't blow whistles all the time. Like, hey, I need your help. Here I am. They don't even know that what they need is Jesus sometimes. But the way you hear the whistle is someone who's hurting, someone who's alone, someone who's spiritually confused, someone who's mad at God, someone who's drowning in depression or grief, someone who's going through some stuff with their kids, someone who's overwhelmed with life, someone who doesn't like all the ugly division going on in the world, someone who's ready for a change, someone who's just ho-hum going through life. That's what the whistles sound like. It's people living life in this crazy country that we live in right here, right now. That's the whistle, and what needs to happen is some boats that will turn around. And, and remember, the question is not how many are in the boat. The question is how many are in the water. Somebody like, wow, the mountain's getting pretty big. Shouldn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, should, should, it, how big are you trying to get? It's like, that's like the wrongest, dumbest question. It's like, we're, I'll tell you what, getting too big is hell, Okay. People are living in hell now, okay, and facing a crisis eternity. That's what's getting too big. So I don't, I don't care about any of the rest of that. We're on a mission, and the mission hasn't changed. And he put us here on this mission field in this corridor called the Northeast Corridor where 70 million people live, and it has the highest rate of unchurched anywhere in this country. And Maryland, really unchurched. And this county, one of the highest unchurched anywhere. Hundreds of thousands of people within you know, a few miles of us that don't have any relationship with God. It's why we moved our family here. It's why God's put you here, whether you knew it or not. It's your mission. It's our mission together. If you want to go to your grave with no regrets, know that you made a difference and made a dent in the universe, you've got to do what Jesus wants. 
When you want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, it won't be because we did a lot of the what and the how the way the world told us to. You know what it'll be? It'll be that we did what Jesus already told us to do, and that's clear. What is it? Make disciples more and better disciples. So we're not here just for some casual commitment. We're not here just, you know, we're here for sold-out radical people who want to be able to say, I want my one life to matter in the ways that matter most pouring into my family, pouring into the people around me and just helping people come to Jesus and keep growing in him. And when it gets hard, don't quit because this is our moment. And someone later might look back at us in that unbroken line of faithfulness and we want to be able to say we did not wilt under pressure, we did not quit, we did not stop. When it got hard, we didn't lift our hand from the plow. What did we do? We made disciples more and better. You in? Let's pray. God, help us to be faithful, to be found faithful to your mission and to hear you say go and now to say to you, God, send me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.